Hey friends, it's the Covenant Courses Podcast. Weston Brown here. We are currently in a study called Missional Essentials. And on each episode, I'm interviewing Brad Briscoe, author of the book, Missional Essentials. And over the last four episodes, we've been talking about necessary paradigm shifts that we need to make if we are going to be a people who embrace uh, the mission of God in our world. And these paradigm shifts largely have revolved around coming to see ourselves as a missionary people, that our God is a missionary God, we are missionary people. And so we've been talking about things like incarnating, um, obviously not in exactly the same way that Jesus was the incarnation, right? That that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But but really asking questions about what did what did it look like for Jesus to live amongst other people and how do we embrace that way of living? Um, we've also talked about the mission of God itself. What is that? And what does it look like for us to step into it as well as living a kingdom of God agenda? What does it mean that the kingdom of God has come near through Christ? And what does it look like for us to sort of live in the kingdom, in the here and now, and to give tastes or glimpses of the kingdom of God to other people. Today, we're going to take a next step uh, in this study and talk about the fact that there is only one God and that he is God over everything, that there is not necessarily uh, a sacred and secular divide in the way that we might think about it. Our world is not kind of parsed out into things that are of God and things that are not of God because he is the Lord of all things and he is the maker of all things. And so with that in mind, let's get into today's conversation with Brad Briscoe. You guys start out in in chapter five by talking about the fact that many of us live what you call disintegrated lives. Could could you just unpack that language for us? Because I don't I don't think that's language. It's certainly not language I ever use. Yeah, I think another way to say it is we live lives. Yeah, instead of uh, integrated, we live lives that are disintegrated. Or another you know language we use sometimes is we live lives that are compartmentalized. So we we have a a, a home life and a work life and a church life and we they're disinte- disintegrated um and i think you know the the point of of that lesson or that particular chapter is the passage in in mark 12 when the scribe comes to jesus and asks which is the greatest commandment and he goes back and quotes deuteronomy 6 which in the old testament uh, the nation of israel referred to as the shema which simply meant here so it was like they're emphasizing hear this and the, the emphasis in the Shema in, in Deuteronomy 6 and Jesus' emphasis, or one of the emphases that he makes in Mark 12, is that our our God is one, that he is Lord over all things, not just some things, and not just our church life or just our home life, but there ought to be, um, you know, he he's Lord over our work and our, our play and we ought to be able to see God or the divine in uh, every aspect or element of life from the art and literature and music. And again, work, I think work is one that that's uh, very important. So, uh, so yeah, it's all about that. We not live lives that are compartmentalized, but that we see that, that Jesus is the Lord over all things. You, there's a, there's a pretty long block quote here in this lesson from 
uh, Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost book, The Shaping of Things to Come, that talks about a need to re-Hebraize the church, uh, to kind of get back to a more Hebrew understanding of, of who God is, which relates to some of what you were just talking about. Um, do you think that the Hebrew culture uh, of, say, the Old Testament had, had a more unified or integrated view of God in all of life than we do today in, in say, the Protestant church? Yeah, I think without a doubt. I think part of it is, you know, it's interesting when you think about that passage in Deuteronomy 6, that when that was shared, it was in the context of uh, a belief system of polytheism, where there was a God over all different aspects. And uh, in in Deuteronomy, it was saying, no, the there is one God, and the one God is Lord over all things. There aren't multiple gods. And, you know, philosophers or theologians call that dualism, that we we say that there are languages other languages used sometimes as sacred secular divide is that we think mm. some things are sacred they're they're of god and some things are secular which are apart from god and i say all the time that's not only isn't helpful i don't think it's biblical that we need to recognize that god is the lord over all things um and man there's just so many practical examples of that i think today in in uh in our american culture but in the church culture where where we we draw these this unhelpful sacred secular divide uh around like i said things i already mentioned you know arts and nature and science and literature i think music is a big example for me personally um but one that i talk about a lot is work that we uh you know we think some vocations or callings are sacred like missionaries or a pastor but then we don't we, and then we think some vocations like a mechanic or an architect or an engineer, they're secular. They're apart from God. And I, I just think we do a disservice to the people in our church when we don't help them see that if God reigns over all things, then all things are sacred. Uh, they can indeed be sacred calling. So I think that's that's probably where this sacred sector divide kind of rears its ugly head most often, I think, is in callings or vocations. So would you, I mean, would you say that... It- would you use that language at all of of secular and sacred? Would you like? Are you saying that everything is sacred and that nothing is secular, or would you would you speak about it in different terms? Well, yeah, I you know there are there are some probably places where evil resides in such a way that it's hard for us to find God in that. But I tell you, I'm reminded of a quote. It's a Wendell Berry quote many years ago. See if I can remember. He says, uh, there is no sacred secular, there's only sacred and desecrated. So yeah, what he means yeah. by that is, in a sense, we need to like resacralize some of these places. We need to enter into these places and and bring the, the hope and redemption of the gospel into those places. So, yeah, you know, I guess you could push it, you know, too far and and because we could probably come up with, you know, examples of just darkness and evil and say, man, it's just really hard to see the Lord in this. But I don't think we have to go there. We we can come up with lots of other examples where we think things are are secular, and in fact, no, God is at work in that as well. We we just need to do a little bit of work to recognize where is God at work. How does that relate to what what I, I think Scripture would would speak of as like worldliness, or you know, Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of the world, and 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 things like that. How do, how does it relate to that kind of stuff? 
Would those well, things again, be I think it goes secular? Back to the window, well, I think it goes back again to uh, the Wendell Berry quote. We need to sacralize. We need to find places where we can bring redemption into those. So, uh, I mean, let's say let's say music, for example. You know, we we like to label some music's Christian music and, and some isn't. Yeah. Well, I'm an enormous music fan, and I don't even know how do you define Christian music versus music <laughs> that isn't Christian? Because yeah. I tell you, if you look for it, you can see regardless, you can see the God's creative, you know, like hand on music and 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 the creativity that artists have. And, you know, I, there's music that many would would label secular music that I think speaks to all sorts of uh, issues of redemption. I think there's some secular music, quote unquote, that describes the the sinfulness of man more than some christian music the, the way we would label it so i just yeah. think we have to look for where where has god at work there um uh, where can we see uh you know again kind of the hand of god the 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 uh the, a picture of god in the midst of all of this um so again i think we could push it too far but i think there's lots of areas where we live that uh we shouldn't draw that line of sacred secular divide that uh, we, and I don't think we have to. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess my, the way I think about this is that God is the author of beauty ultimately, and that we find beauty in all kinds of places, many of which are not expressly Christian or expressly talking about the things of, Jesus or the things of scripture or something like that. Yeah, um, no, I think that's good. I like that. So if if we if we are coming across true beauty, then then ultimately we're coming across something that God is God is behind or has his fingerprints on in some way, even if it isn't in a very overt way speaking about him. Um and and that's because music is kind of the I mean, it's the quintessential example, at least from my life, in that Growing up, the only time I ever heard the word secular used was in relationship to music, right? <laughs> it's either secular music or it's Christian music. And Christian music was generally about the most spiritual 2% of life and, um, you know, was, was, was often expressly about the gospel or expressly about Jesus or was worship music. Um, but like you, I'm also a huge music fan and uh, love love all kinds of music. And there's so much out there that really does speak to the creativity of our God. Um, and also this creative mandate that he has placed on all those who are made in his image, right? This, this, Very good. This ability that we have to make, um, even if we are not followers of, of Jesus. Um, so. Good well, stuff, and man. I, yeah, and I think, and just to piggyback on that a little bit, I, I, I think you're right. I think music is, a, like you said, the kind of the quintessential example. And then I'll just go back again, because I think it's just really important for us uh, as it relates to vocation or calling that, you know, if, if someone isn't uh, a missionary or a pastor or work for a nonprofit, often they don't see value in their work is because we we have allowed them to to view vocation through the lens of the sacred secular divide and i think in most cases we can help people regardless of what they do to help them see how does their calling in the marketplace participate 
or contribute to the mission of God? How does it contribute to the common good? And it's it's beautiful. I mean, I, I think uh, in most callings in the marketplace, we can help people do that. And we can we can see how are they serving others? How are they being a good neighbor with, to those that they work with? So it's not just about, you know, how do they take their, their faith to work, but how does their work fit into the broader redemptive purposes of God? And uh, again, most people just, they don't see, they don't see the benefit of their work. And I think that part of it goes back to this, this idea of dualism. Well, and I don't, I don't think most people have had good examples of that in the, in, you know, like, what is, what does that really look like? Um, what does it look like for me to be on mission uh, or to have this view of my work that, that aligns with what you're talking about when I haven't had other people who've sort of modeled that for me? You know, I, th I think most people think it probably looks like some, again, some kind of overt Christian thing, like I'm leading the office Bible study at lunch or something. Um, but and it could be that, perhaps, uh, maybe maybe that's something you're doing. But but over and above that, I think it it primarily looks like how how are we emulating the way of Jesus in whatever situation or context we're in with the people that are around us. How are we extending love and grace? How are we serving in a sacrificial way? Um, those those are the kinds of things that I think about when I think about what you're what you're saying. Yeah, is that exactly. is that on is that on track? Yeah, absolutely. And then as you we started this conversation is to recognize to kind of get that view in all aspects of our lives at home and work and play and church and school, and then see how how does Jesus how is Jesus Lord of all of those different aspects of my life? So it's not like I'm just following Jesus at church or I'm just following Jesus at home, but I'm actually following Jesus in in this integrated way of viewing my life as a whole. All right. Hope that's helpful to you guys today. Uh, as we get into our next lesson, lesson six, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to live in our mission field now. What is your mission field? What is your context? What does that look like? Join us next time. We'll be talking about all that.